one podcast. Mining the Magic the Gathering subreddits for salt. This is The Howling Salt Mine. It's The Howling Salt Mine. The Howling Salt Mine. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Howling Salt Mine podcast, the podcast where we delve into those salty, salty mines of the Magic the Gathering community, finding the saltiest posts, the saltiest stories, those salty confessionals that uh, people put on the Internet, and we read them and, and read them to you, our prospectors. As always, I'm your host, Sam, and I'm joined today by my two co-hosts, Mike and Tony. Say hey guys. What up, what up, what up? Oh, totally stole it. I literally say that, that every so fucking ready. time now. It's no, my new thing. Never. That's the first time you've ever done that. That is <laughs> you're a fucking <laughs> live piece of shit. Hey, because you're gonna confuse somebody and somebody's gonna be like, wait, does Mike Wait, always say that, that? Was, I thought that was Tony. <laughs> yeah. What up, what up, what up? Uh... <laughs> what up, what up, what up? Indeed. <laughs> Immediate aside. So I just remember this now. I love Legos because who doesn't fucking love Legos? They're fucking awesome. Yeah, Legos are great. Lord of the Rings just did like another Lego thing where they they now have released a new Lego set. So like, like fucking like 10 years ago or something, they had like Helm's Deep and like the tower, uh, Sourman's Tower and like stuff. And now they've released Rivendell. Uh, And so I... Spent too much money on Legos and bought like a six thousand piece Lego set. Oh my god! Uh, that is, it. It there's something so incredibly satisfying about how this set was done. So like, major props to Lego. Like it, it feels right as you're assembling it. Like there's many things where it's like you put two things together separately and then you join them and i like i think i bust a nut at least two times oh when we're I, like five minutes in and tony already yeah, talks about we were coming. talking about this the other day we we're like all of tony's commentary is about some sort of ejaculation busting. yeah, <laughs> yeah. And like like in the episode with lauren like we were listening uh, to it the other day and tony said it like 10 different ways and we we're just like, man, if we're going to get canceled, this because of Tony. <laughs> like, he just talks, he talks like he's like a 16 year old. Still. He's just like, yo, that sucks dick. Bust a nut. <laughs> Whatever. But Mike and I, as adults, say it sucks ass. Yeah. And, you know, it's it booty. The, we just the, the number of times that Sam's been like, eat my ass. It's like <laughs> incredibly high. But that's mature. That's adult. Yeah. That's, uh, that's highbrow true. humor. That's yeah. High that's high that's high I got you. That's I got you for sure. I do love Legos, man. This probably won't shock you, but <laughs> I was like really into this like underground like Lego building thing in college. <laughs> Wait, there's like it this shocked me a little bit because I don't know when you had the time to, to do just that. like tinkering in my room. Like I got all my childhood Legos from my parents when I was in college. And there's this like community online of people who would like build their own sets and and like mm. build their own like like these like little robots and stuff. And and the thing that you would do is you would build it out of the tiniest pieces possible. You wouldn't really use big bricks and you'd like make it so it had all this like greebling is what they call it which is when there's like an uneven like you know interesting looking surface so yeah. i'd be i'd be taking out like lego man hands and like sticking that in a brick and you're making all these like illegal connections with the bricks and stuff like that to get that's like, gpu cool baby good parts usage <laughs> love that exactly and man it was so so much fun um i had this like bag of all of these like tiny special parts that I searched through my whole collection I have <laughs> and I just pour them out and I'd make like a cool like droid or something and it was great have you ever seen uh Lego Masters no what's that oh the tv show oh my god yeah, yeah. it's I, I've, so good I've seen the clip where something falls over and they're like no well so there's like the American version with Will Arnett hosts which yep. is like good the first season is good Lego Batman Will Arnett 
yes correct mm. <laughs> that lego man yeah <laughs> I was saying, and actually does a great job the first season is he like does. very solid the second season is pretty good and the third season i haven't even finished because it's like not that great mm. but on Tubi, hashtag sponsored not really uh Tubi is like a streaming service that i hadn't heard of but they have seasons one through three of lego masters australia Ooh. And that shit is fucking fire. It's really good. Wow. So you have to build all the sets upside down. Nice. Well, so Fuck what yeah. they actually do is they just get <laughs> access to like huge Lego pits and like get mm. a challenge to like go build stuff. And some of them are like very technical of like build something from like a single hanging brick or like build something off of a wall. Like you have like six, six bricks on a wall and then you have to build out as far as you can go. Oh, that's uh, sick. Yeah, there's like really cool stuff. So there's some um... Lego master stream now. I found this thing, like speaking of Legos, I found this thing thing, uh, a while back and it was like people who like, you know, people speculate on like stocks and speculate on like magic cards, which is something I think a lot of us and listeners have probably done at some point. There are people who speculate on Lego pieces. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of this? I would believe it. Like certain Lego pieces are like printed once in like yep. a specific set and people will like buy them up like crazy hmm. and it's like oh like i have 30 copies of like an urukai helmet from the original lord of the mm. rings set and they're all like 40 bucks each now it's like yeah i could fuck? imagine for like minis that's a, a big thing definitely yeah, big i think for the minis, minis game and- is like really strong because some of them yeah. are very exclusive like the frodo that i now have it's fucking exclusive shit you can't just get frodo anywhere it's only in this set. <laughs> it's actually funny because they have smaller legs than like typical minifig legs, which are already yeah. fucking small. And so, is it the same as like the Ewok legs? I mean, the legs. They thing. don't move. They yeah, literally the don't yeah, move. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that so much. Dude, the Lego Star Wars sets were fucking sick. Also, the Lego Star Wars games, cool as yeah. hell. Those games rule, man. Oh, I, never played good. Them. I have had like the Imperial Star Cruiser uh in a cart more times than once mm. and usually that's end game for me if something goes into a shopping cart for me it usually means i'm gonna buy it but yeah, it's would have been bad if i bought it because <laughs> we lived in a small apartment and there's nowhere but now i have endless room for legos in this room <laughs> legos were like the thing i would get i would get like one really solid lego kit every christmas and oh, yeah. you, i think and so that we would get like I would get like a clone drop ship or like the ATAT walkers. It was all like, uh, you know, second Star Wars trilogies, but we got so many of those. And I think like Hogwarts stuff all the time too. So much of Christmas was like building a huge Lego set for me uh, every year. It was great. Yeah. So I had fucking I got Django Fett's ship. Oh yeah. And that was a really cool set. I also got the, the like premium, naboo starfighter like the naboo mm. that like yellow and silver ship oh yep. yeah and apparently that is one of those sets that if i still had like the box i could sell it for like a thousand dollars yeah oh, and the sure. fact that i have like the bricks somewhere if i like ever took the time to put them together i could probably still get a pretty good amount of money from them <laughs> yeah <laughs> one, one of my uh old co-workers is like crazy into legos and we were talking about it one day and I was like, oh yeah, I have that set. And he was like, you have the Naboo Starfighter? <laughs> Dude, uh, it was ninjas. like a display piece. It wasn't a toy. It was like a display piece. <laughs> the OG ninjas, those were so good. There like was Ninjago like, or like before no, like that? Well before that. Like yeah, yeah. The ninjas er- were fucking sick. Early dude. 2000 ninjas were sick yeah and there was like a green one you could get like one green one uh it was awesome and they had like the kite they had like like a little like uh like kite sail that they could like glide on yeah yeah i remember those man uh the medieval knights one were sick too because you could get like the chromed out sword and like the armor mm, you yeah, had to buy like yeah. multiple sets to assemble it it, it was so dope <laughs> yeah. did you ever get bionicles they oh, were the, hell like yeah i got bionicles i fucking love that shit and i it Another thing like that's it... going for crazy money right now is those Bionicle masks, dude. For whatever oh, reason, really? the masks for Bionicles are going hmm. for like big cash. 
I'm so I definitely like that all got like thrown out at some point in my life, which is so sad. I think it's like when I left for college, like a lot of shit just like I came back and wasn't there anymore. It's a bummer. <laughs> like, I literally I like, have mine in like the closet behind oh, me. Oh man, I wish. <laughs> I feel like that those opened like a new world of play because those coupled with Legos, coupled with other toys, I feel like other toys also just sort of fit into lego things and like sometimes you could press the bricks like into them or just build bricks around them. I, I feel like i was always building like weird janky shit for my other toys around like my lego stuff and everything i'm like uh anyway are we a lego uh podcast yeah. now or <laughs> yeah we definitely are um yeah, welcome to the Howling Lego Mine, uh, <laughs> where we talk about Legos. <laughs> talk about stepping on Lego into pieces. the underground and like <laughs> find the sets that you can't buy, and, like the plans you can't do. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, yeah, we are here to talk about salt. We're going to be talking about salty stories, salty posts. You know, you guys know it. You fucking heard the show before. I feel like we rambled enough. Yo, plenty. Hell yeah solid ramble so our first post comes to us from patreon and this one comes to us from our buddy prime speaker florian and this post is titled forgive me boys for i have salted and the post goes one of my groups is a bit more low to the ground so after having some table talk about how my decks are too strong i opted out of playing my honed decks and threw together some binder piles but the quality of cards in my collection is baseline quite high so even these piles (laughs) (laughs) so even these piles while they were missing key synergies were still pretty good so much so that some players were still complaining so i asked what i should do they proposed to use one of their decks or a pre-con so here's where the funny comes in i used their trixie kadena deck that's the uh the morph deck and lots of shenanigans and reactive spells I never had the deck in hand and did not look through it before I played it, but I won the game. Utilizing the reactiveness for tempo plays and the tricks with the face-down cards to close some gaps. The player was majorly amazed that his deck can function like that, and everybody else was getting salty that I would still win, even with a deck that I had not even looked through. So they asked me to use a pre-con of my choice next time. My choice was the Tyranid deck with Magus Lucia Kane as commander. Unaltered list... The Tyranids ate the table. I was impressed. And they were salty. But at this point, we sat down for another table talk. They were upset that no matter what deck I use, apparently I am just this good. I countered that this is not the case as I am losing a bunch in my other groups and that I think it comes down to my experience and deep love for the strategy in this game. After all, the others are in this for a year or less and I am playing with more than eight years of experience. I even asked if they wanted to exclude me as I would understand. One player then said, no, we should take this as a learning experience, which made me very happy. So we continued to play together, but I have to make a small confession here. Sometimes I just don't play the optimal turns for the sake of their fun. And it makes me happy in this group too. That's interesting because it's it's sort of like a an inverse salty confessional a little bit. Like there's obviously some salt and people are losing games and feeling bummed out about it. But it's also a moment where they keep having these conversations about it. Uh, someone's kind of accepting that it is what it is, looking at it as a learning opportunity. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of the positives that you hope to see in a group dealing with something like this, like a piloting imbalance you're seeing in this, which is nice. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, have you guys ever experienced this where like you're playing in a play group and one person is just like way more experienced than the rest? I mean, aside from our group with me crushing you guys all the time. <laughs> I feel like sometimes but it's usually just one but i feel like it doesn't impact the game like that much because i i find that it's usually that it's somebody it's it's like one person that is inexperienced not so much so like this one person is super experienced and it's like giving them some like huge leg up but like you said in his other groups he loses so i guess they just suck i don't know (laughs) well i think it's just purely that there's a whole group of brand new people and florian has eight years experience like I, I've experienced this when I first got into magic, my friend Bob, who gifted me a bunch of cards and basically brought like this big tub of cards over to our apartment and just like dropped it off when we first started playing. So we would just like dig through his shit and build cool decks and stuff like that. And he could just come with like the jankiest deck and like crush us because he just had better threat assessment, better strategies overall. Didn't really matter what the deck did. He could just pilot it better. You know what I mean? 
What you mean and, to say is he knew the rules. <laughs> well, I think part of it is knowing the rules, but part of it is yeah. also like, you know, knowing when to attack and like, like when is it a safe, going to be safe for me to attack? You know, I think some people, especially when they're new, play very cautiously. Like, yeah, even I feel I've like experienced you see some of that of people like really just not doing things that seem so obvious like yeah. to me as somebody who's played for a long time and totally. there was definitely a period of time in which i did those same things totally and people were just placing there being like, what the fuck is this noob doing but like well there's a yeah. while where you're still figuring out the you know like we we were talking about the rules of the game but even more so than that you're sort of figuring out the the boundaries of what you can do and that kind of the structure, it's really hard to evaluate between like three different options of like, let's say when to play an instant spell. Mm-hmm. If you don't really know the ramifications of each of those, you know, you could, you could main phase it. There's actually reasons to do that. Sometimes you're maybe playing your instant removal because they're tapped out and you just want to get that in. Or you're trying like, to get that addendum. Right. Uh, maybe secondary maybe you're trying to get that addendum clause. <laughs> you play those cards. <laughs> Uh, or, or maybe you're trying to do it in combat before blocks are declared so that your creature gets through. Maybe you want to wait for the blocks so that, you know, something is going on. So there's all these nuances. Uh, sorry, that... Mike. Uh, Marisi was out, so you actually can't oh, cast. Yeah. You Megatron. Can't cast. You're playing Megatron, actually, so you can't <laughs> cast spells. But, you know, you don't know what those boundaries are when you're first starting out. Yeah. And that can mean that you're not even struggling to play optimally. It's just, it's just that you're not finding like those decisions. It's not that you're making bad decisions. It's kind of like, you don't know what's available to you. And I yeah, think that's kind of sure. what we're seeing with like this morph deck, you know, like Florian knows the timing of it, knows how to use some of those things and really make the most out of a, what a deck can do. And if you don't have that experience, you can't leverage that. So sometimes just seeing people play those things is actually a great way to do it. So I, I would, you know, recommend keep playing each other's decks too, because maybe you'll you know, hopefully the next time that morph player plays that deck, they're like, okay, I, I know this trick. I saw Florian do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can kind of teach people their own decks a little bit as you're playing them. Yeah. Morph in general is just really strange, like because it flips up as a special action. So it moves outside of typical timing restrictions. I think that is a hard thing for people to wrap their head around when they're first getting into the game because timing restrictions is like, one of the key things that you teach when you're going through uh, the basic rules, you know, instance happened this time, man, it can happen at any time. I think people kind of get that, but for something to have be like an instant sort of interaction effect, but it just happens outside of the typical timing is very, very weird. I do think that your point, Mike, about like when to play an instant, that is like one of the first big like level up moments that people have when they're learning magic is like, don't play that in your main phase. If you, if you don't, if you truly don't need to, by the circumstances, don't play it in your main phase, hold up your mana, play it on the end step, you know? And now for us, it's like very, that's just like how you play. Like you crack your fetches on end steps. You generally speaking, you play instance on end steps. You can hold mana up and you have options. You activate abilities on end steps. Like you're waiting to see if anything changes what you want to do. And then with yeah. the last possible moment, you're like, okay, I'm going to do my thing now. And I'm yeah. popping it out right now. Well, it's that you're waiting for your advantage because there's so yeah. many things that can happen in a rotation of the table that like in many scenarios, it could be that the end step before your turn is the right point. But sometimes it'll be like, you know, during someone else's end step or like in the yeah. middle of someone else's, like the, it just can change so much, which is also what makes it like exciting that mm-hmm. like it could be any one of those spots, but you're kind of like constantly almost on the edge of your seat being like, I'm going to do my thing. When am I going to do it? And you're like yeah. just waiting for the optimal moment, but it's always a moving target, which is like the interesting, cool thing. Like I made it's a joke also- about Marisi because Marisi says, your opponents can't cast spells during combat, but that is like a legit thing that you have to play around. Like if you want to fuck up a combat step on a Marisi player or, or do something with your own creatures or whatever, like you have to do that at the end of first main. And if you don't have that, like in your mind, like you're, you're gonna, <laughs> you're yeah. gonna have one of those feel bad moments where you're like, well, I cast this and they're like, uh, you actually can't. Yeah. And similarly, well, like if someone's playing an Obeka deck and you're like, sweet on the end step of the obeka mm. person i'm gonna do this and they're like well i'll just end the turn in response and you're like well i'm an yeah. idiot i've seen a lot on twitter people talking about how commander players would really benefit from some 1v1 
experience as well, because some of these things, including threat assessment, though you have to shift it into a four player mode, you do learn a lot better in a one-on-one setting because the reasoning behind it is a lot clearer. You know, I want to hold my mana up directly because even if I don't have something that's going to impact what they do, they might be worried that I will have something. There's just Mm -hmm. this much clearer kind of back and forth. And in some ways you want to get that down first before you expand it to four player and combat is definitely like that too. Combat in a one-on-one setting is just a lot more clear in terms of what's going to happen when you're attacking into someone. So figuring those things out is, is good, but if people are committed to playing commander, you know, don't force them to go play some of those things, but just be aware that some of those things are going to be the things that take the longest to figure out. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there, Mike. So I, I have a bit of this situation. Like I have a bunch of friends I used to play 60 card magic with, and I would just like wipe the floor with them. And, you know, sometimes I would play their decks and they'd play mine and, you know, I'd still win. And part of it was just that I was a more experienced player in like a 1v1 setting and could like read the table a little bit better. And I think one of those things that I was always good at, which I think a lot of people get lost in sometimes is like choosing when to attack and when not to. For instance, I have a 2-2 and you have a 2-2. And I care less about losing my 2-2 than I think you care about losing your 2-2. I'm just going to attack you because if you block, yours is dead. And I'm like, cool, I didn't really give a shit about mine. And now yours is gone too. And if you don't, you take the damage. You know what I mean? Like, I think that happens a lot when when someone has a blocker and it's like they're, it's like Thrasios. And Thrasios is going to die if he blocks. It's like, well, that's a safe attack but some new players might be like well they can block with my thrasios and then i'll lose my you know whatever like stupid creature and i think like thinking on that next level of like well are they even going to block are they even going to attack back like do they even want to risk attacking into my board and like thinking that that level deeper is something that comes with experience as well so there are all these like facets of the game that come with getting more experience under your belt reading into just general strategies of how the game pace is done and how things just like play out and that kind of stuff. It doesn't really matter the deck that you hold in your hand. Like there's, there's a big thing to be said for just pilot skill, um, which is something they talk about in CDH a lot as well. Yeah. I think it's interesting because I think a big part of that in the one V one setting is like life totals matter so much less in commander. True. Like chip damage is huge. a huge thing, and it's and like games are won and lost on it in like competitive one v one scenarios of like limited modern all those things where it's like it really matters like every single point of damage. But like in commander games, it's just such a more natural thing that like everybody loses in yeah. one turn, and it's kind of like everybody's doing a bunch of stuff, and then all of a sudden somebody like explodes. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, the, the game is just ended as opposed to like really the duration of time being what does it. But uh, what do we think about the uh, salt rating here on this one? I think this is a good salt. Honestly, it's kind of like the salt that you put on mm. like a, a nice like focaccia bread that makes it a little bit tastier. Um, I mean, mm. I've definitely felt this type of salt where it's like, man, I'm always fucking losing to Bob. Like this sucks. But it is also kind of that <laughs> moment where you're. Bob. <laughs> it is sort of that moment where you look at yourself and you're like, just like what this play group said, I don't think the answer is that we never play with Bob. I think the answer is that we try to get better. And to Mike's point earlier, observe what Florian or Bob or whoever is doing, observe how they're playing. And sometimes having someone else play your deck can be like really enlightening. And frankly, I love playing other people's decks. Like every once in a while, I don't think we've done it in a long time. But sometimes we'll switch and and play each other's decks and stuff. And I think that's super, super fun because Mm -hmm. I often see other people doing a strategy that I didn't quite know was in my deck or putting like two pieces together. And I'm like, oh, man, like that's really cool. And even if they don't, it's sometimes it's just cool to like have somebody succeed with your deck. And you're like, yeah, I built that, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like that feels good. (laughs) Yeah. I do think you bring yeah. up an interesting point because it is very interesting to like have somebody else play your deck and like see what they're doing because they will approach it differently from you than you. Uh, whether they're better than you or not almost doesn't matter. It's like they're just going to think of lines that you might yeah. not have. 
uh, for better or worse, which is like an interesting piece. But yeah, I do think this is a, a solid finishing mm-hmm. salt of of delight. Like, you know, you're happy it's and there. Like the play group improved, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it's kind of a natural part of bumping into it, especially with, with one person being more experienced. You're just going to encounter this and hopefully everyone improves from here. I think the not natural part, though, is everyone being like, no, this is like, okay, like. It's just yeah, kind of how it is. Yeah. Like most of the time, people will be like, "Fuck this, fuck <laughs> this guy." Meanwhile, one of our other posts are like, "We've got this dick in our group always wins." <laughs> and I tried to kick him out, but the pod doesn't want to get rid of him. So, like, what do I do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the pod definitely like reacted in in a great way this time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this does make me think of the time where um, I think I've maybe talked about it on the show before. Mike was just getting into EDH and didn't really have like his own deck to play yet. And at the time he was borrowing decks from us. I think he had Brian put together, but then he was like, eh, I don't want to play Brian. So he's just borrowing decks from us. And we had this game over at Nick's house where Mike borrowed Duretti from me. And I used to have this Duretti deck that I loved. Super, super fun to play. You know, part of it was like, it was an upgraded version of that Duretti pre-con that came out back in like 2014 or whenever that was. And I just like improved it and added in cool new cards bigger bombs to reanimate things like that. And Mike got mind slaver and, <laughs> and started like recurring, like sacking and recurring mind slaver. And the first person he mind slavered was me. And I was like, I can't even be mad. Like, this is so crazy and cool. Like, yeah, I can do it, man. Like, get me like, this is what the deck is supposed to do. <laughs> and just to see someone else pop off with your deck in like a really interesting way. And like, like you're watching them and they're like, oh man, like, I, oh, I see it now. I'm like, I'm going to do it. And you're like, yes, he's doing it. He's doing it, Peter. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I just love that shit, man. Always feels good. Don't we all? Uh, you guys up for another one? Yeah. What else we got? Cha, baby. All right. Um, I got one here. This one comes to us from an unnamed anonymous listener. And the post is titled, Thoughts on Take Back Etiquette? Mm. And the post goes. So I was playing with my other playgroup last night. This playgroup in general is more liberal with allowing plays to be rewound slash taken back. One of my friends was playing Orvar and is kind of notorious for not paying full attention to other people's boards or asking questions about board state whenever he takes actions. That brings us to this game. Orvar player starts his turn doing the Orvar thing of casting jank cantrips to make copies of his creatures. He casts a spell, makes a copy of something. This triggers player sees Mystic Remora, so he draws a card. At this point, Orvar player decides to walk back the play, instead choosing to cast some sort of removal spell on player B's Brina. Player B says, okay, I'll just use my other creature to give Brina protection. Again, the Orvar player says, oh, well, never mind then. And starts to change targets to our OP here uh, to their Neheb deck instead to target Neheb. At this point, I'm kind of fed up. So I push back both A, because I don't want my stuff removed. And B, I think it's crazy to allow for take back because you misread the board state. Myself and Orvar get into a bit of a salty argument, but eventually he gives up and the spell fizzles due to the protection on Brina. For context, this was a casual five player game. Where do y'all draw the line on takebacks? Since protection was on board, it wasn't technically new information, but it was definitely new to the Orvar player when it was pointed out to him. Well, as we know, we draw the line at four players <laughs> first. Yeah. Kick that player out and just have a nice pot of four. <laughs> yeah. The rules make no distinction between new information and new information to like a player like there, there is no such thing of like oops i missed the fact that this was visible on the yeah. board already <laughs> i think something unspoken that we kind of do is like once once you've like targeted something like there's no changing that uh in particular in our like casual stuff but like if you do something in your own little bubble and you just did it and we don't need to like do math to walk it back. And it's like chill. I think we we tend to be like pretty casual on that. But e- even now, I feel like I'm finding that more and more frequently for myself, at least, I don't want to yeah. do that. 
because it just like it kind of makes the games worse in a lot of ways. Mm. So I feel like we as a whole do that less, but I feel like that's almost the the typical piece for me. If it's like if it's not gonna really impact anything else, it's just on your board, and you, it happened right in this moment now, right now. You're like, actually, wait, I don't want to do that, or like, can I change how I mm-hmm. tap mana for that? Which you actually legally can do because like until yeah. it's like spent yeah. and cast, it's like different. But I feel like that's kind of my where I tend to sit on this issue well it's one of those things where even at competitive rules enforcement levels there is a rule where if you've taken a game action that hasn't really impacted many things and no new information has been shared you can roll that back so like if you're playing a planeswalker like teferi teferi three and you uptick him and you haven't moved phases, you haven't cast anything else, you haven't done anything else, and you you can say, you know what, actually, I, I don't want to have upticked him, uh, never mind, and then go down tick him later at, at yeah. some point in the turn if you want to, because it, it hasn't shared any information, it hasn't changed anything. Um, I mean, it's changed like the Teferi's state, what like whether or not he can use another ability, but there is a certain level of grace that's given even at competitive rules enforcement levels. And the real thing is that there is no such, like your group can decide whatever yeah. they want. Yeah. And it's something that you just kind of want to say up front or have a group that you're so consistent with that you kind of get into a rhythm of it. Like we don't have to start every game by saying, okay, this is what we're okay mm-hmm. with, with take backs, but we've kind of accepted it at this point. We have an understanding. Um, but especially if you're just figuring a group out, having that conversation is yeah. super worth it. This question makes me think of a couple points. The first one is I do think it's fair to rethink your targeting after you've put a spell in the stack. I think that happens a lot, mostly as like a political play where something goes on and you're like, eh, I'm going to like sorts to plowshares that Lanawar elf. And then the table's like, why not do this big, scary thing? And they're like, okay. And then they change it. You know, like that happens from time to time. I think it's fair. That said, you know, we, we've talked about this before. I just think it bears mentioning again. We're generally pretty lax with take backs in casual games, unless it's like a winning turn moment. Then we can usually be like, no, you kind of have to stick with it. Uh, with CDH, even if it's allowed in tournament play, we're very hard, like no take backs. And part of that is that we want ourselves to like focus on perfected play and not really have that like wiggle room for better or worse. The amount of times I have played something into a stacks piece or done something, as long as it is like a, not a move that you can't do as a result of something. And I'm just like, well, guess i'm gonna search the top four cards in my library or or i'm just gonna not search i'm gonna fail yeah, to find that a lot i'm gonna cast this <laughs> oh my fucking god uh but the other thing i want to say here <sighs> is that i don't think this is an issue about what we allow for take backs like i know that's the question asked i don't think that this is a take back etiquette question i think this is a question about a repeat offender who's always spacing out of games and always looking for grace with takebacks. Like that starts to become a different thing. If every single game you play with somebody, they are pulling something like this and changing their target like three or four times. I think to me, there's some salt that comes up to be like, yo, fucking pay attention, dude. Like, like how hard is it to pay attention to the game? Like, yeah. you know, if you pull this like a few games in a row, it's like, by the time the last one comes it's like no you can't take it back like you should be paying attention like we're hanging out we're all putting our time into this i'm sorry you're not paying attention right now but it sucks to suck like your your spell fizzles you know so sam what yeah. if they were flooded and like playing on their game boy though like i mean they're, they're probably cool <laughs> <laughs> cool i wasn't doing cool, anything cool, cool. those I'm games anyways Tony. <laughs> but like i think it's fair to say you know, looking at this situation in isolation, you have a removal spell, you have a Mystic Remora trigger that's drawing a card, and changing that target, whether it's hitting a Brina or a different creature, or it's hitting Neheb, no new information has been added, to Mike's point. You're still going to get the card draw off Mystic Remora, and something is going to get removed. But to me, the thing is like, okay, I target something. Actually, I change it to this other thing. And then they're like, sweet, well, I'm going to fizzle it. And then you're like, oh, no, no, no. Actually, I change it to this other thing. It's like, man, well, I think once you mm-hmm. get to that third target change, it's like, no, it actually, that doesn't happen because 
Why didn't you just think after the Even second, the second target change? <laughs> like, it's like you're you're changing it because you realize after the fact that you couldn't do it or like something negative is going to happen to you as a result. And like, that is the like bothersome piece. It's which is, I think is distinctly different than like cast it, put like a claim target on the stack and the table's like, totally. oh, let's talk about it. Like, what if we did yeah. this instead? Like very I think different. If you're like that, rewriting it like, on your own uh, with no input from other people purely because you didn't read the board state correctly, like that is on you. And I do think that at a certain point, again, if somebody is a repeat offender and doing this all the time, there is a point to be like, hey, this is a great lesson for you to pay attention next time you do something like this. (laughs) And you can also like ask the players and a lot of times, like I feel like this happens with Mike's board all the time where I'll be like, Mike, I'm going to do this thing now to fuck your shit up. But you got like a billion things over there. Is there something (laughs) that you can do that like is going to fuck with me doing this? And he'll like be truthful about like what can or can't interact at different points. He, He might not spell it out, but he'll be like, this is the reality of my board state. And like, I know I do the same thing. I'll be like, yeah, I can, I'll just do this if you do that. Yeah, like, and that gives yeah. other players at the table a chance to be like, yeah, yeah you got to watch out for that mother of runes that he has over there. Like you don't want, you don't yeah, want to hit yeah, Brina because yeah. it's going to get fizzled. So I, I think that yeah. there's like a more of an outward conversation to have. <laughs> These things of like checking in on the board state, changing your target, asking for some grace with a take back, in my opinion, aren't bad. It's very, very common in many play groups. But if you're repeatedly doing this shit, like that's a problem, you know, it speaks to a bigger yeah. problem. Yeah. And you can, you can hit a player doing this with just a quick, are you sure? You know, they cast Brina, they target Brina. Oh, are you sure? If they say yes, yeah. there's no take backs. Once someone says <laughs> yes, I'm sure, you know, <laughs> they're sure. Okay. Confirmed. I tap my mother of runes. And then that player, that player will not forget that. that, that they're not so going to be like, oh, the table really did me dirty trying yeah. to let me resolve this. It's like, oh. Yeah, I was sure and I yeah, was dead that, wrong. That is so that is such a good point, Mike. Like sometimes you just need that like quick reality check. You don't even point out what's there. You just say, like, you know, like, hey, this is your indicator to check the board state one more time before we resolve yeah. this spell. <laughs> <laughs> and exactly yeah, one more time. Exactly. Not two more times. Check just it one once. more time yeah. and then make your target. What do we think about the salt rating here? This is pretty high salt for me, at least. Uh, you know, we talk about how important it is to, you know, kind of be operating in good faith with each other, like at the table, trying to play some nice, clean magic. And this is just, you know, not really giving the respect to the table to take your time with considering what you want to target or, or how you want to play the game. Uh, and it just kind of sh- immediately demonstrates to everyone you're playing with that, like, it's it's maybe not important enough to track what's going on. For me, this, uh, this salt is... It's kind of like when you're walking around late at night in the mine and you didn't bother to turn on the light and you step on some Legos that you could have avoided if you otherwise saw. And it's just pain in your soul. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> fuck this shit. And you're so bad. <laughs> yeah, th- this is a high salt situation for me. And it's less about the take backs and it's more about that repeat situation that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes when people talk about EDH, they talk about like social contract. And I think that that's like one of those like spirit of the game or spirit of the format things that is like Mm. is appropriate to use sometimes, but is also kind of like cringy to talk about. But there truly is a social contract when people play EDH where it's like, hey, we're coming together to play this collaborative game. We're, We're all like taking time out of our days and we owe it to each other to be present in the game. Um in my mind, it's similar to when you play Dungeons and Dragons. If you play D&D and somebody is like on their phone or they're like having a side conversation while someone else is having like a big story moment, it's like, yo, we're all here creating a story, playing a game together. And, you know, if you're reading a book, when a side character is talking, you don't skip those pages. You still read that too. You know what I mean? Well, <laughs> depends on the person. Yeah. <laughs> I really hate the character then. <laughs> Let me tell you, the the Snape cut of the Harry Potter series is very short. It's it's it's, it's like half a novel. Um, just speed run it. Uh, but but I think that there's like a time that people dedicate, and that is something that needs to be like honored and 
you know, like you're all friends, you're all there to chill. And sometimes you have games where it's fucking goofy and you're drinking beer and you're eating chips and mistakes are happening. And that's totally fine if that's the vibe. And other times. Classic mind altering substance yeah. chips. <laughs> oh, uh, lead based paint <laughs> chips, I mean. Um, oh, okay, <laughs> so you're just yeah. you know, slowly getting lead poisoning, getting turned off that lead poisoning. Um, but yeah, like that, that kind of shit, you know, I, I don't know. It's a time and place for it, but it sounds like this was not the time or place. And I think that's fucking frustrating. And it's also yeah, totally this... valid to be like, yo, I don't really want to play. I just want to chill and like sit on the side and hang, especially if there's a five player game. Like <laughs> maybe that's <laughs> the perfect moment for that, actually. Yeah, this is also somewhere where it would be sort of one person's salt of, oops, I messed up my targeting and chose yeah. something bad. And instead, because they're trying to do all these takebacks, it becomes like the table's salt instead of just the one player's. So finding ways to kick that back so that it is just the one player being maybe a little grumpy that they messed up, uh, that'll that'll teach them. That'll, that'll yep. learn them today. It's just a lesson. Going to learn today. Just a lesson. Are you guys down for another? Yeah. Imagine if you just said no and we ended the episode and it was a 10 minute episode. Well, I have said no in the past and you were just like, well, we're doing it anyway. (laughs) So now I just agree. I've said no to episodes in the past and then I end up losing my salty card reading of the week. (laughs) (laughs) That was the best. (laughs) That was so funny. Talk about light leaving a little boy's eyes. <laughs> I labeled I labeled that episode. Uh, I think that's, we have it tracked as like episode 44. Who knows where it'll actually be. But sometimes when we have guests on, I'll be like, you know, episode 40 underscore Lauren, episode whatever underscore comedian. And this is episode 44 underscore sleepy. <laughs> it's, the, it's the sleepy sode, <laughs> which might be the title. <laughs> So this next post comes from Patreon and comes from our patron, Bobo Fett. Thanks, Boba Fett. And the post title is, Jin can tax us without progressing the board. Ooh, what a pun. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I like that he knows. Yeah. <laughs> it's like pretty good. And the post goes, Rule Zero Conversation starts one person says they have a Jin Cataxius progress tyrant, but it's not that Jin. But it's not that Jin Cataxius. The vibe was beer and pretzels, uh, another mind-altering substance. Um, casual <laughs> game. So I picked something. The but pretzels, was there salt right? or no salt on the pretzels? We need yeah, to someone know. Someone probably for Tony. picked all the salt it's off. Definitely no salt. <laughs> like a maniac. <laughs> dude the best part of a bag of pretzels is when you get to the bottom and you're just like i'm going for it and you oh, dump gross. the salt right in your mouth like oh oh no 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 come on the fans out there know that's the fucking best <laughs> no 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 no. i was just in physical and one of the nights somebody brought a a fucking box of like pret like warm pretzel Ooh. sticks they weren't like turned into pretzels but they were like like hot like a soft pretzel but like pretzel stick and Another member of the cast, who shall remain anonymous for the sake of their identity, uh, fucking picked all the salt off too. And I was like, yo, that's wow. what's up. Man. And we bonded over it. And I was like, my friends make fun of me for And then you this. both murdered a man in cold blood afterwards because you're maniacs. Yeah. <laughs> Actually beat them with the pretzel and then ate the pretzel afterwards. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's crazy. The vibe was a beer and pretzels casual game, so I picked something from my spectrum of decks that seemed reasonable. You, dear reader, might be wondering, what does Not That Gin Cataxius play like? It turns out it's an oppressive counterspell tribal build. It just has fast mana counterspells to get Gin out on turn four. Cool. <laughs> he countered ramp spells, which the rest of the table let out a damn the moment he countered. When I did get to play something uncountered, he made note that he allowed it, even occasionally saying that to someone in the background. One player leaves. That should have been my cue. I finally caught a bit of the conversation he was having in real life. The other person was saying their toilet had overflown and was apparently asking for help for half the game. Where is this going? Where is this going? <laughs> Where is this going? We had been playing this game for two and a half hours. The third player says, I gotta go. I thought this was going to be 
different. He doesn't say good game. He just cuts out. Jin asks if I want to keep playing. I said it was way past the time I had for games and I wasn't going to play 1v1. Plus, that really is that Jin deck. You really should reconsider how you present it. He still thought it wasn't that bad, which was the extra salt in the wound for me. Every now and again, when the wind blows just right, I can smell salt on the breeze and recall this event. Has anyone else ever gotten up and left a game like this? This is really the only time I've ever been in a situation where I just didn't want to play anymore. Has anyone else been there? What does the toilet aside have anything to do with <laughs> this story? Why is that just <laughs> nuzzled into in there? That's like a little factoid. I think it's like one person had to leave because their toilet was overflowing and one person was just like, I'm going to leave because I'm sad. But they didn't say anything. They just yeah. left. I mean, maybe okay, the counterspell okay. hits so hard, their toilet overflow. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a shitty situation hey, hey. yeah we did there. um man i think whenever anyone says it's not that kind of deck you and doesn't elaborate beyond that you have to be like extremely cautious yeah when is that when is that ever yeah. the case like sometimes i play alesha uh my alesha human deck at like lgs's or like with people that aren't you guys and they're like whoa Alesha's good and i'm like it's not an Alesha combo deck here look through it it's just a bunch of random humans and i go to combat and then they're like okay cool but if they're just if i was like it's not that kind of Alesha deck and didn't elaborate anymore i think i would be suspicious <laughs> all i know is that if somebody countered the fucking ramp on the table but then didn't do anything else i'd be like you can fuck yeah. yourself and then I would leave. <laughs> That's probably how I would have exited the game and then just been done for better or worse, baby. Yeah. The, the thing that sticks for me, Boba Fett even called it out here, uh, is not, uh, not, not seeing mm -hmm. it, you know, presenting it this way and then being called out and still being like, nah, it's fine. <laughs> That's either yeah. willful, you know, yeah, that's, so bad. that's either lying <laughs> Or like true, true unawareness, um, which is a bummer. That's not or something maybe you want this, in your pod. This person, this gin player, experienced a gin Cataxius deck so toxic that we can't even fathom it. And he's like, compared to that mm -hmm. deck, this is actually really enjoyable. Probably not, though. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. doubt it. Somehow I don't I think, think anyone so. countering ramp, there, there's like a level of cruelty there. <laughs> yeah. Which I... Granted, I will say, uh, got to shout out our Reddit follower, Dash Hopes 69. Um, Dash Hopes will often say one of the more broken and degenerate things in the game is ramping mana like crazy. And that's how he justifies playing mass land destruction. And I kind of agree, man. Fair. Like Simic decks yeah. ramping like crazy. And he's like, and they think that they think it's fair to put like two or three land down in a single turn. But if I blow up four or five land, it's like a huge problem. It's like, hey, you do speak some truth there, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's definitely okay to ramp uh, like ramp out your own gin cataxius and then just counter everything everyone plays, right? <laughs> well. No. <laughs> you heard it here, fans. Sam's Casting fucking justifying this kind of toxic player casting spells is degenerate so stopping your opponents from doing that is just fair you're just hey, balancing I mean, things. if there's a rule of law out and we're all playing one spell per turn that is fair that's fair <laughs> <laughs> i actually remember in uh this is this is a long time ago i think nick was running karanos that's the blue red god right um he was running some god that had yes. uh call it counters in it. And I was playing my angry Omnoth deck and he countered my ramp. And I was real sad, but I had just ramped yeah. like both of the turns prior. Like I, I already had like six lands out and it was turn like three or something. And like he countered my second piece of ramp, and I was definitely butthurt. Yeah, countering ramp is one but, of those things like it definitely sometimes it is the right move. Like turn one mental misstep sure. on a soul ring. Fuck yeah. Counter that shit, dude. That fucking mm, feels so good. 
<laughs> but like, you know, a super casual game that's turned five and someone's like, oh, rampant growth. And you're like, ha, I'm going to counter that. It, it would be one thing if the counter, Ooh. honestly, I, I was about to say something that's not even true. I was going to say if it was like, you know, wh- who's that counter spell commander? Taxes. Um, it would be one thing if you were playing oh, Baral and you needed like the card draw, but even then, it's still pretty evil. I just think like putting so many counter spells in your deck, it's not fun. Like, are you having fun too? Like, how do you even win? Everybody leaves? Of course. Yeah. He almost had it too. They just like saying no. I fucking hate counter spells. <laughs> I don't totally hate them, but I do more often than not. I save them for bombs in casual, or I use them to save my own shit. Like, I usually don't use them to like fuck up other people's days and i certainly don't Mm -hmm. run enough where i can just throw them around willy-nilly like countering a ramp spell man i'd rather counter like something actually important a few turns later you know Mm. so what do we think But they can't even cast the important thing if they don't have the mana for it sam true Mm, you're convincing me mike yep (laughs) got you there it's foolproof logic (laughs) (laughs) what do we think about the salt rating on this one it's pretty high man like don't play counterspell decks. Like, also these praetors, also running fast mana, also spell table. Like, there's just so many levels of this that just contribute to a, an innately high base salt score before you even really evaluate the situation that's yeah, going on. It's just and and don't don't lie about what your deck does. Like, I think and who knows? Maybe you need to communicate more because when you say like, is it that kind of deck? And people are like, I. Don't know what you mean. First of all, I think that's kind of bullshit, and they probably do know what you mean. But maybe you have to be like, is it that kind of deck where you counterspell on my shit and it's fucking unpleasant to play against? <laughs> you know, maybe if you <laughs> phrased it that way, they'd be like, uh, no. And then if they truly say no, then they're a massive piece of shit more than they currently are. <laughs> <laughs> well, is it that time? Yeah, I think it's that time of the week. It's the time of the week that comes every week. Every motherfucking week, baby. Let's it's the go. time of the week where we say, Mike, what's the salty card of the week? Why don't you take it this time, Sam? Uh, sure. Oh, no. <laughs> the salty card of the week this week is. <laughs> oh, my God. Fucking backfire uh, on you there. Yeah, I so was the gonna take card, it, man. <laughs> just let me week, Google up a salty card. Is, <laughs> uh, you're too <laughs> slow. I already quick. got it. The salty card of the week. King. Yeah. Nice. Thanks for that, Sam. The salty card of the week this week is Corvold Fay Cursed King. Hmm. It is two, a black, a red, and a green, so five mm-hmm. mana altogether for a legendary creature, creature, dragon, noble, with flying. Whenever Corvold, Fae Cursed King, enters the battlefield or attacks, sacrifice another permanent. Whenever you sacrifice a permanent, put a plus one, plus one counter on Corvold and draw a card. Uh, Tony, how do you feel about this one? This is just a good card. It's mm. a great card. I feel zero salt. I feel giddy right mm. now. I feel like this is such a glory. I honestly actually don't even know why Corvold makes people so salty is how not salty I feel about it. But I know that people get like salty about it. It's it's like powerful, like his powerful effects, like especially with treasure. Like that's the biggest thing. Couple them with treasure and all of a sudden you're drawing a fuckload of cards. Um, Couple them with food chain and squee and all of a sudden you're fucking winning games and doing crazy bullshit. Um I think that's like probably the biggest piece, right? That if you get it, but you still need like infinite mana and other things, but like with just Corvold, you can like win the yeah. game, like get yourself outlets and you can just win with just that card. So it living in the command zone means that you always have access to it. Uh, and you can just do like broken shit because to his trigger, he can sack himself and like do interesting, funky stuff, but it's not excessively overpowered in my mind like as compared to like a lot of other things that are out there so for me i find it hard to 
see the salt that other people feel for yeah. this card. Mm-hmm. Um, probably also because I fucking ran it for a really long time. Bring it back. <laughs> Maybe Corval 2023. Related. Bring it back, Tony. Mm, all right sam how about you Uh, yeah corporal doesn't make me salty at all um it's a great card it's very good and you know i could see being impressive at um you know maybe more casual tables we we really only have seen it in cdh i played against it in casual a few times my friend Bo has a used to have a really crazy corval deck that was very strong um but you know it's it's just a good card i do see why it is on here though and I think it is less to do with the salt of the actual card and playing against it and everything to do with the design space for the card. Uh, this set with these Eldraine Brawl decks, um, specifically Chulane or Hullen and Corvold were incredibly salt-inducing because of their super boring value engine design. Where like when Corvold mm-hmm. was printed, it kind of said... Hey, look at every other Jund commander. Why are you running that when you could be running Corfold? You know, mm. like Prosh still has a niche, a niche, a niche. Niche. Uh, niche still has like a niche somewhere in the community, but pretty much everything that Prosh was doing, Corvold is doing it better. At least when it comes to like very high level play, like Prosh used to be the food chain commander. And then Corvold was printed and it was like, oh, it's this guy now. Like, why would you ever play that other mm-hmm. one when there's this one here? So I think I think mm. the salt comes from the design, it being extremely pushed and just kind of making other cards obsolete. And I think whenever that happens, people get frustrated because they're like, why was this printed? Like the community is going to get flooded with it. Everyone's playing a Tulane deck. Everyone's playing a Corvold deck. You're seeing it fucking everywhere. They're just like shitting out value left and right. And it's just sort of boring where it's like, I play this thing. I'm going to sack stuff. I'm going to draw cards. I'm going to get a shit ton of value. And like Tony said, it's all just stapled onto my commander. There's not too much to assemble to get you there. So how do you feel about this, Mike? I think I agree with pretty much most of the things you guys have said. It's not something that we've specifically had a salty kind of record with. It is one of those things where I think the the way that you start building it naturally ends up in a higher power than you know the default build of a lot Mm -hmm. of other commanders i think this falls trapped to even without fast mana even without a lot of the things that we classically think of cdh if you just assemble this deck in the way that kind of makes sense you end up with something really strong and you know, you're going to want to put a Dockside into your yep. Corvald deck. And as soon as you got a Dockside out and a Corvald, you're drawing like 15 cards and ma- making him a, you know, a 1919 <laughs> yeah. and cracking a bunch of mana. It's like, just, and at that point, just you been... just play your team or Sabertooth yeah. because then you yeah, got more there, mana. Yeah, you're there because you drew it and then you pop the Dockside back to your hand and then you just start fucking going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those decks that like, just putting reasonable cards in for the strategy produces this incredibly powerful deck, you know, like, like kind of without even trying, you can make a really, really good Corvold deck that is like pushed and is gonna like crush your table and, you know, maybe produce some like unpleasant playing experiences just from like power level bouncing issues. So I, I think that's where mm-hmm. a lot of it comes from. And and we've talked a couple times about, commanders that we see with a high prevalence we think being you know disliked and and finding high salty score appearances uh yeah like attracts uh uh some of the praetors things like that where it's probably pretty likely that there are just a lot of people out there running them but uh i think i think corvald could be seeing a little bit of that as well but i do overall think it's mostly just like power and what sam was saying of it being uh limiting player creativity by being sort of the best jund aristocrats commander choice all right boys i'm gonna guess 69 Ooh, Ooh, nice um, guess i'm gonna guess i think 77 is where i'm feeling Mm. Mm. tony takes it this was 70 that is i think the closest we've ever got. i think we've had some that were like right on the money but 
I don't think you guys don't think have gotten on the money. Even, so if, you go, if you go back if and anyone listen knows to the files one, that I doctored after this episode, um, <laughs> I just went in and I'm like, oh, I think it's 18. And it's 18. And then I put in myself celebrating afterwards. Nice. Um, Mike, <laughs> nice. I am curious. You said like prevalence might have an issue or might have something to do with the salt of this deck. How often do we see Corvold? Like what percentage does it have? How many decks mm. are made with it? So it's rank number 10 on the commander list. Just so it's, it's the 10th of most commanders. popular. It's just the 10th most popular. Damn. So it's probably the top Jund commander, like easy. I mean, it yeah. 100% is. There's no probably. No probably. You mean Crush the Blood Braid isn't above? <laughs> uh, the Shatter Gang? No. I bet yeah, Crush is, is up it is there. It is the top Jund. In fact, the only. I, um, I bet it's that, then Prosh, then Crush. The next highest Jund after, oh, the next high, that's the other thing. The next highest Jund is pretty far What's down the from there. Like there's a lot of Teamer, a lot of Esper all above it. Yeah. Cause... There's like seven different Mardu commanders above it. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm scrolling. Just go I'm to the Jund scrolling page, And I haven't found another Jund. No, I'm not going to do that. That's way <laughs> too quick. That's way too easy. Yeah. Trying to make it easy, bro. I'm not trying to make it easy. Oh my god. So the top Jun commander is Korvold, obviously, with almost 12,000 decks. Literally Damn. 27 decks off from 12,000. And the next one is Lord Windgrace, and it's at 6552. Like, wow. barely yeah. over half, like half. Just barely over half. That's insane, dude. Yeah. The next Jund is the 59th most popular commander instead of the, the it, It's interesting that um, pretty far. four of the top nine commanders in Jund all came from New Capenna. Hmm. Well, I think it's the first time where there were some cards that weren't just like strictly yeah. aristocrats that they put in Jund. And that's kind of what people were able to finally branch out into doing something i still different. remember when we had that game with um with lance at uh magic 30 vegas when he played his agnes the dragon's lash like haste deck yeah. and every creature had haste and he was just making a shit ton of treasure that deck was cool as fuck yep. man that, that's like a cool design space for john it, it's interesting because it doesn't really feel like john but it's like ramp and it's treasures and it's haste and when you think about it you're like okay like yeah those abilities are jundy Mm -hmm. Super Jundy. I mean, they're red. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I guess it could be mono red too. <laughs> well, you can cast them for mono uh, that, red if you that want. Is, that would be a really funny yeah, build of Yeah, that's a very good point because it has um, it has hybrid mana in the mana cost. Yep. Well, thanks, Mike. That was great. That wraps Sweet. it up. And thank you, <laughs> listeners. For tuning in to another episode. If you want more Howling Salt Mine, check out our Patreon. Patreon.com slash is it slash the Howling Salt Mine? Oh my god. Fuck if I know. Scrub. I have to check. Patreon.com slash Howling Salt Mine. We have a monthly series, our extra salt series. We got new episodes coming out for that once a month. It goes behind the salt. We're talking about deck techs. We're talking about how we got into the game. Uh, we're talking about, you know, maybe anime and board games and fun things like that. So just kind of, you know, breaks away from our traditional format, gives us a chance to talk about kind of whatever we want. We also have our Stray Grain series, which we've been dropping heavily in our feed for the patrons lately. Um, that's our short form series where, you know, you're getting maybe three to 10 minute segments that didn't quite make it into the final cut of the show, but are still very funny and have their own merit. Uh, it's kind of got this like funny NPR vibe that we really love. So check that out if you're interested. Uh, we also have a lovely Discord community that's tons and tons of fun. We're like posting decks. We're talking about spoilers. We're talking about cats. We're telling each other that we love each other. We're just picks. like, it's just amazing. It's been really, really great. And, um, you know, it's just a fun community that we're building over there. Yeah, for real though, like some people have like shared some just like really amazing, awesome yeah. stories recently. And it's like, 
actually heartwarming. Like it's yeah, kind of crazy. Big shout out to Davey who shared a personal story the other day that like literally had all of us like crying in the chat and being like, we love you, dude. And it was just like, it was so powerful and cool. And that's something yeah. I will like always. It's a real community. Of. It's like, I feel like sometimes you hear people talk about it and like, it's like not real or you never know, but like, yeah, it's real. Like it's, it's a legit. real community and it, it, it's just cool. It's cool. Um, if yeah. you have a salty story that you would like us to read on the show, you can email that to us at thehowlingsaltman at gmail.com or DM it to us on any of our social media things like Twitter, where we are Howling Salt Mine, or Instagram and Reddit, where we are at the Howling Salt Mine. As always, we ask you to keep those short, sweet, and to the salt. We have merchandise. We have merchandise now. We have a bonfire store. It's just going to be up forever as long as we can doing shirts. We got a blues trash color shirt. We have our logo shirt. We have our borderless logo shirt. Very sexy. Um, and if you haven't given us a five-star review yet, that really does go a long way to help the podcast, helps other people find us, increase our visibility in all of the various metrics on those podcast apps like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that kind of shit. So do that. That would be great. We would love it. <laughs> And um, just another thing I want to shout out here is like tagging us in Reddit posts. Some people have been doing that lately just to be like, yo, this one's salty. Like get in here. Um, I love that. Like that's a really fun way for us to engage on Reddit. And, you know, all of our little prospectors out there helping us gather the salt. And and that is like a really cool feeling as well. Um, As we're getting more and more stories, sometimes it's harder for us to find those like really juicy grains of salt. So if you guys find a really cool one, like tag us with our Reddit username and we'll hop in and reach out to that op and try to get on the show and as always we must shout out our amazing podcast artist jd burnett if you guys are ever in Asheville, north carolina hit this guy up and get a sweet tattoo super talented super cool just an amazing all-around guy thanks again everybody and as always stay salty and don't forget to draw an additional card during your draw step it's the So this next post that we have comes to us from Patreon. Oh my God, guys. Oh my God. What's going on over there? Talk about choking oh on a dick oh right there real quick. Tony, what? <laughs> Canceled. <laughs> Tony. You're like... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Howling, all mine. Howling, yeah, howling, it's all howling, mine. It's all mine. Howling. <laughs> I thought we were going to keep going. (laughs) Man, I'm going to sneeze. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. You ever get that feeling that you're going to sneeze and then you don't? I mean, all the fucking time. It's the worst. It's like, what is my body doing? Isn't it supposed to be sneezing this thing (laughs) out? Like, come on. All right. <laughs> oh my god, are you fucking dying over there? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gusting. <laughs>